Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, this is Steve Silver with Silver Screen Videos, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. You are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. All right, we got more touristic you for you. We are going to go ahead and do part six, Grenork's Burden. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> up to this point, they've uh, stolen the best spaceship in the fleet uh cal and her crew and uh they just got away from earth who uh you know <laughs> does not like the fact that their best spaceship has been stolen so let's kind of see how that all plays out in grinork's burden the warning light blinked on cal's control panel death doesn't knock it blinks she thought the panel didn't really exist but it was real enough for her the dervish created an interface for those who couldn't quite get into the idea of operating a spacecraft with pure thought. Hayden had named the ship because of its austerity and design of the bridge. There were holy men called dervishes who gave up everything for their practice, and even though no one had officially named the ill-gotten craft, the name stuck. Cal didn't understand the human need to name everything, especially a space vessel. She was content calling it, based on class, a G-Viper EX-1NT-53. But Cal noticed that Hayden often understood the social dynamics of the crew better than her. So when the details that didn't strike her as important seemed essential to Hayden, she listened to him. The dervish blipped the warning signal again. Cal supposed that, as captain, she should go break up whatever squabble had triggered the warning light in the club a rec room for the crew members to decompress. She wiped the control panel away, and it receded into her peripheral vision. The dull metal room was all that was left without her interface running. She got out of the bridge before the emptiness got to her. Tensions were running high. They barely had enough crew to run a ship meant for 400, when not being on the Terrestrial scanners to be number one on their most wanted list in all in a matter of a few months. 
Cal didn't let them stay at any space station longer than a few hours to resupply. Their list of allies was thin, and job prospects were even more fragile. Even though most of the underworld hated the Turisticus, no one was looking to get on the wrong side of the human empire either. However, there were perks. There's always someone to looking to prove themselves by bullying the newcomers. When Cal and her crew had docked at the new station, people would look at them with fear and even some reverence. Some would also perform the local custom of buying them a drink. However, when it came to finding work or anything more, no one wanted to be associated with them. Having the fastest ship in the galaxy didn't mean anything if no one wanted to hire them. They subsisted on small-time raids of Touristicu supply depots. At least until about a week ago, when the UPE realized that the Dervish had a full database of Touristicu operations, they changed their depot locations. Cal burst into the club. Unlike the bridge, it was loaded with more than the stark metal walls. There was a pool table that converted into an air hockey table and over 300 Earth tabletop games. A robotic server that hung from the ceiling with a replicator spout like the nozzle she had cleaned in prison. It could make any drink in the database with the glass and all. There were cafe-style chairs and tables that normally gave people a place to sit and socialize. However, Grand Orc was tearing through them and tossing them aside. Hayden avoided being gored by the Orcandu's horn, while Sid and his bird-like companion with shimmering rings watched from the sidelines. I will drink the blood of your ancestors and defecate your bones! Grand Orc roared and tossed the table aside. Hayden jumped over a bench and tossed a chair that was easily deflected. My bones will become poo if you eat me. How are you going to get at the blood of my ancestors, he said. The blood of your ancestors runs through you! Grand Orc roared as the pursuit continued to thrash the place. Cal chuckled. She was getting used to the concept of humor, though she didn't understand half the time what Hayden thought was so funny. However, this was funny. The fact that they bothered to argue at all while attempting to kill each other. However, Cal's amusement of the situation was short-lived. Unless a person knew her well, the chuckle could have been misinterpreted as a snort. Granor had overpowered Hayden and held him by the throat towards the ceiling. Hayden's face turned red while his feet dangled. Enough, Cal yelled. Granork set him down and turned to face his captain. I offer my life for this transgression of the peace. Before I start taking lives, does someone want to tell me what's going on here? Cal stared down the crew. Sid and the Birdman were no exception. They were silent for a moment, and then finally Hayden spoke. We were playing an Earth game called Poker, Hayden said. And this man cheated, Granork bellowed. I was merely trying out this trick I saw in a movie once, where aces could be hidden up your sleeve. I want to see if it was possible. You do not play with honor. It's not like we are playing for money. I don't care who did what. What I want is an inventory of our weapon system. I want every bullet visually accounted for, Cal barked. Hayden smirked at Grenork, but before he could get too comfortable, she turned to him. I want an updated star chart with every Touristic ship movement, manually confirmed. But the computer... Hayden complained. I want neutral vessel movement too, but... Do you want me to make it asteroids? Hayden slunk away with Grand Orc, and they quickly diverted their frustrations from each other to her. She turned to Sid and said, Somebody clean up this place. But we didn't do anything, Sid protested. We were just playing the game. Cal was out the door before she could hear any more. Even though she ran the ship with a cooperative style like she had learned from her village, she found that the human command structure was good when someone needed to step up and make a decision. However, the crew was getting restless, and she could feel it. The problem was more significant than a squabble in the rec room. Something needed to change, but she wasn't sure what. 
A notification from Aker appeared in her peripheral vision. She accepted the incoming transmission, and his voice sounded in her ear. Could you come down to the science bay? I have something I'd like to show you. Copy that, she said out loud, even though she didn't have to. Since the interface to the ship was implanted in her brain, everything could be done with pure thought. The voice of Maker in her ear wasn't really a sensory experience, it was the perception of sound. The implant simulated parts of the brain that were responsible for hearing, and she listened to his voice as if he was in the room. She had asked Maker to modify her implant to let her see the controls of other crew members. It was off-pitting to see the people fiddle with dials out of thin air, and more strange to see the crew like Maker, who adopted the thought control so thoroughly that he sat quietly at his station while performing tasks. At least with a simulated bridge, she could see people at the control panel and feel like she was on a starship and not a metal tomb. She wondered if her new interface was completed. She made her way to one of the two cargo bays that had become a permanent home of the Citronite. The gash in the bay wall still hadn't been repaired after the ship's violent homecoming. Even though the dervish was an advanced touristicute prototype, the Citronite had better science labs, so Maker had turned their old craft into his unofficial quarters. Of course, Cal made it clear to be ready to fly at a moment's notice if they needed it for a mission. She climbed into the vessel and made her way to Lab 2 to find Maker buried in his various experiments. He hadn't quite figured out how to connect the dervish interface to the Citronite yet, so he still had to use the controls. However, he had a pair of arms that could break away into many tendrils, so he tweaked over a dozen different experiments when Cal entered the room. Ah, Maker said when he saw her, come in. The tendrils wrapped around themselves to form one solid limb. He disconnected it from his body and pulled a human one from cold storage. He swapped arms and used a device to thaw the human limb. The blue fingers had life in them within a matter of seconds. It didn't take long for it to fuse to his body. You don't need to appear human for me, Cal said. I'm half Negromodion myself. You should know by now that I seldom choose my body parts for their aesthetic value, Maker said as he typed it on the terminal. It asked for his identification. He placed his new palm on the interface. The words accepted appeared on, flashed on the screen, and it loaded the Touristicu database. This is the drive that came with the original shipment of implants we intercepted. It was locked with biometrics of a person who was intended to captain the vessel. Makiarnik, I believe his name was. Cal shuddered at the name. Even though she was 99% positive he was dead, the thought of him reminded her of her village and her mother. She wanted her tribe to be honored ancestors of the past rather than ghosts haunting the present. Don't tell me the drive uses palm print identification. That's pretty ancient. Even I know that, Cal said. Due to her upbringing, anything technological is new to her. Maker didn't skip a beat. Palm and five fingerprints, DNA scan, stress test to prevent coercion, tissue analysis to make sure it isn't fake, and life, and even a life science reading. They don't want you to cut off his hand. Luckily, there's enough of his blood that had splattered on you during your encounter with him on Earth to retrieve a workable DNA sample. I cloned his hand and hacked his medical database to get the contours and the scarring right. All I need were the life signs, which I could easily provide myself by attaching the limb. You're telling me that you have a replica of Makiarnik's arm? Maker nodded. Yes, it's been quite useful for accessing the information on the drive. So why the security? What, what's so important that they couldn't just use the galactic net? The drive was intended to see the database of the dervish. A lot of the top secret data was stored on it. It's the kind of information deemed so sensitive they updated through physical drives rather than through the galactic network. What's on it? A genetic data database of every touristic soldier for one thing. 
Cal was stunned. Her father had been a Turisticu soldier assigned to her planet in the Turisticu Wars. Since her mother wasn't forthcoming about the identity of her dad, Cal didn't know much about him. C can you find my father? She was almost too afraid to ask. I thought you might say that. So I already looked. It's hard to tell how the Necromodian and the human DNA combined. Of the few recorded births, there aren't any half-human, half-Necromodian DNA samples of public record. So I only have you to work with. I narrowed the possible candidates down to 7,183. However, most were nowhere near Necromodo, so at the time you would have been conceived, so I made a generous estimate based on both human and Necromodian pregnancy averages. I had to guess at the gestation time because the records are spotty there too. The pool is down to now 2,993 potential matches. I'm sure I can squeeze out a few hundred by figuring out those who never went planet-side, but I can't get much narrower than that without a better understanding of the human Necromodian genome. Of course, if we had a sample of even one of your parents' DNA, my father's patch, Cal interrupted. Excuse me, Maker said. I have a patch from my father's uniform. Do you think you could get DNA from that? There could be microscopic DNA samples like sweat, skin cells, hair, or something on the fabric I could use. Great, I'll get... But before she could finish her thought, there was an explosion that knocked her and Maker off their feet, and they tumbled to the ground. The Cytronite was clamped to the bay to prevent it from sliding around. The microgravity generators should have prevented them from taking a tumble unless they were under sneak attack that hit the ship before it time to correct the impact. Hayden, report, Cal yelled, even though she could have thought the words. There's a Cartarian Snap-52 that got the jump on us, Hayden said over the network. Cal heard more explosions on the hall and pulled up a view of the exterior. They were followed by a disc-shaped vessel with two weapons clustered on each side, a missile array on the bottom and a turret on top. The turret and the cannons were at full tilt. The explosions she felt were the rockets. The snaps were a high-damage, low-defense ship that meant to cause devastation in the first few seconds of battle. They were equipped with faster-than-light drive that could plop them into the heart of action with a brake that worked at speeds as high as 350 p years. It was hard to see them coming, but an experienced pilot could raise the shields and go into evasive maneuvers and take them out before full salvo. It was a shame her pilot wasn't paying attention, because it looked like the dervish got hit by most of the attack before they were able to dodge the onslaught. Should I make them eat our space dust? Hayden asked as he wove through the assault. One round from the plasma cannon should destroy them, Granork offered. Even if they got the full blast from the snap, they were too heavily armed and shielded to be in really any danger. The dervish was a sturdy ship and could take on a squad of snaps. Cal was more worried about the repairs that she would have to make, which they couldn't afford. Find a safe port to have them made. The damage report appeared in her implants. The initial onslaught fried the galactic network transmitter, the long-range sensor away, the swivel motor on one of the weapons turrets, and caused a few micro-breaches in the aft hall. No, Cal said. Continue evasive maneuvers. I want to see what they have to say. Last I heard, the Cartarians were neutral to the Shusharian Collective and the UPE. It could be a bounty hunter, Maker conjectured. We do have a sizable cash offering for our capture. Even if we were caught flat-footed at full stop, Cal glared at Hayden, a snap couldn't even come close to causing enough damage before we could turn them into salvage. What? Hayden said. I had the AI running. Most experienced pilots can juke an AI, Maker said, especially before the AI has a chance to learn their individual flight patterns. 
Sometimes Cal understood why her mom would get tired when watching her forest brothers and sisters during the hunt. It was trying enough to hear her crew bicker. The point is that the pilot of the vessel is either suicidal or stupid. I'm going to find out which before we do anything. Let's meet up on the bridge in case there are any more surprises. Even though they could operate the ship from their separate quarters because of their implants, Cal preferred the crew to run missions on the bridge. Not only was it the safest place on the ship, but sometimes it was easier to call out an order to a crew member when they were sitting right next to you rather than worrying about the communications going down or any number of problems that could come up if she let people get used to their brain hardware doing all the work. All right, that's what we have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you uh, next week with a movie review. And uh, yeah, so if you're ever flying in deep space, watch out for those snap vessels. They come in hot and fast, but uh, yeah, one good shot, you could take them out. 